you must have known how to take rejections because that is hard. You can't. You oh, just... I still don't know how to take rejections. <laughs> that never goes. That never goes. I'm Wait, sorry, but anyone you... that tells you that you can hand, you need to handle rejections, it's more like you shift your focus. You shift your focus from not thinking about the objection. But because you've got so many appointments in the diary and you've got a good, strong pipeline mm-hmm. or you've got enough prospects, you don't care about the no. You naturally sure. don't care about the no. You have a business idea. You know for a fact that this business would work. But there's just one problem. You have no capital to start this business. Well, you are in the right place, my friend, because I have with me today the expert on raising capital. My guest not only raises capital and invests for a living, he has, all, he has helped over 250 business owners raise capital for their businesses. His company has invested over 10 million pounds in buying businesses and acquiring properties. As Jim Rowe once said, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And my guest is the quintessential proof of that statement. Having removing himself from poverty by simply changing his network and surround himself with high net worth individuals. Today, we discussed how he uses his networking skills to raise capital, steps he would take today if he was starting all over from scratch, how to build credibility, and so on. So, ladies and gentlemen, Abdul Shakar. In order for the uh, for the others to know you and tr- and build the trust, I want us to start with like the beginning of your career and from there to while you like a very short you know timeline walkthrough. All right, cool. Um, I didn't grow up in Malta, so I, firstly I grew up in a, in a religious household. Um, I was prematurely born. I had, wanted to have a cricket career, couldn't have one. Uh, but I was always hustling and selling in school. So, uh, you know, I was like 11 years old, I was selling SIM cards in school. Yeah, nine, I was selling water damage phones. Like, we, I did all that kid hustle thing that people talk about nowadays. You know, I'm, I'm talking 20 years ago. So it's like, we, we did that back then. Uh, I, a lot of the skills I learned in business came from the humanitarian sector. So it came from actually not doing business, but doing charity work. And a lot of people don't realize how much there is in common between the charity sector and the business sector. Like when I was fundraising, I learned sales, I learned sponsorship, I learned, I learned event management, I learned how to sell tickets, how to market myself, how to get people to emotionally buy into something. You learned a lot, I learned a lot of these skills and social media is one of them. So fast forward, I set my first business up when I was 16. Um, I sold uh, that company two years later before I went into operation. I had a recruitment business, exited that. Kind of hit a peak. So I grew up in Birmingham in the UK, which is not like, which is about 100 or so miles from the capital city, right? And it's a second city, but you kind of hit this glass ceiling because bear in mind I was a young kid. Entrepreneurship wasn't so popular back in those days. So for me, it was I hit this glass ceiling of I'm not going to make any more money. I'm not going to get respected for what I do. So let me just pack my bags and move to London. And that's what I did. So I packed my bags, moved to London. And I was, because I had the experience of, of building a business and scaling it and selling it, I kind of fell into this consultancy role. 
like this, this naturally just fell into this idea of being a commercial director working with with business owners and i think i I think I heard something at that point in time where focus on profitable industries. So I naturally started networking with people in property. And I started networking with architects, construction companies, developers. And we built one of the largest communities in London. So we built something called London Property Community, which we grew to about 10,000 plus members. We were partnership with banks and institutions. We started to attract a lot of wealthy families as well to these events. And I was like, oh, I was just networking. The idea was just connecting people to connecting people. That was the sole purpose of it. It was benefiting my clients. I was working with them. So one day I introduced this investor, this high net worth individual, to to a um, to a developer contact. That was like I got a massive paycheck out of it, more than I ever had. I got equity in the deal. I was like, damn, there's an opportunity here. Why isn't anyone doing it? So this is when before property was like a thing in, in like in now everyone's talking about Airbnb arbitrage, everyone's talking about all these strategies, right? This was before it was a thing. And I thought, what if I could replicate this for everyone? Because most people don't have a concept for investor relations. They don't understand there's a structure and a process to raising capital. Just like in any business sales there's a structure, raising capital requires a structure and a format. So what if I could take this one step further? Now, we work with 150 property developers. In the last two years, I've raised about 10 million. We've, in, we've invested in about eight different companies uh, where we're literally growing month by month. We onboard about an investor a day. So I don't just talk about teaching people how to raise capital, but also I do it myself on a day-to-day basis. So I'm never kind of like falling behind in the skill set. But... The idea was if I can take the same strategies as what the wealthy were doing, but scale it down to the everyday person and kind of help people make money from investing with with this idea that they can get access to the same opportunities, the same information, the same resources, how am I able to do that? So now I'm, I'm investing into businesses because one of the ways that we protect our investment clients is that we buy a lot of the supply chain. So buying businesses that have the same target audience. So if they imagine a property developer, what does a property developer need? Needs a construction company, needs architects, construction engineers, cleaning company, mortgage brokerage, all of these other services, right? So what I've done is I've started to buy into a lot of these businesses. I've got eight companies in house and these eight businesses all sell to the same client. So what I does it you can go to sell one service, but you can also sell eight other services as a result of that. And that's the beauty of, of what I do. Um yeah, and that, that's a bit about me in a nutshell. So I know you said a lot, but you kind of brushed through a lot of important inflection points. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can imagine. You breezed through the fact that that's you... 14 years of business, <laughs> yeah. like 14 years of business in, in like, two, in what, five two minutes? minutes, I think. So first of all, I, we got to just start by the fact that you were 16, I know you've been yeah. doing some knickknacks, selling SIM cards when you were 11 years old and all that, but you were 16, started a business and sold it at 18. That's crazy. That's like 18-year-olds are partying. They're going around with girls. They're they're having, they're having doing what 18-year-olds do, but you're there selling businesses. Let, let's rewind back to that time. Why? Mm. Where, where did this come from? Do you have like a mentor? Like how did this happen? Um, I was this guy, I was this kid, 
And bear in mind, I'm, you know, from an ethnic background. So I was the only Asian kid, young entrepreneur, going out and networking in certain places. And predominantly, they would be your traditional Caucasian white person in their 50s and 60s, right? And that's who we'd be networking with. And naturally, what happens is I would just attend networking events. That would be my At thing. 16? I would just. At 16, I would walk into rooms and, and try and sell people this big dream or goal as to what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to achieve, right? Wow. And I would wear this bright blue suit. And for those that know me, I used to wear this lovely bright blue suit. And I used to walk in and I used to just network and add value to people. And people didn't really realize what that looked like. But looking back to, you know, 14 years, I'm thinking that was the best thing that I ever did was put myself in environments where... I was the only person doing what I'm doing. The same principle I do as raising capital, the same, any business I look at is, how do I get myself into rooms where I'm the only person there, one, providing that service, but two, um, the only person from that looks like me, yeah. acts like me, is like me in that room. That is the starting point. Because if you can, the problem with a lot of our communities is, and this is if you come from poverty, if you come from nothing, it's very easy to put yourself in a box. It's very easy to um, to network with just a friend, same set of friends, to be around the same set of people. And the interesting thing is, even when I go back to my community today, and I go back in and I see my where my parents still live, I I look at the people that are there that I knew 15 years ago. And they're in the exactly yeah. same position as to where they are. They may have a family now. They may have grown slowly older. They may have a car. But nothing like that you can tell as a person they haven't grown as an individual. They've kind of, their mindset's the same. The, their, the lifestyle's the same. Everything is there. The only way you become successful or you constantly grow, for me, is exposure to environment. So if I had to solve unemployment tomorrow, or the problem of unemployment in our communities, I would say, let's take people into different environments to open up their eyes, give them the exposure to different places. And that's how you that's how you learn, if by getting exposure to certain things. Otherwise, if you've got no exposure to those environments, then you're not really going to know how it's all going to work and how it all comes together. Wow. And so by moving to the capital C, it was like, it was an eye-opener to how the world really works, how money really works. Because... You know, try, you, you you sell something for a, a five hundred quid or a thousand pounds, where where you are in the city that you're in, and you, people are gonna be like, no, that's too expensive. Mm -hmm. But when you go to London, like the average deal size is a million, hmm. and then so that switches your mindset exactly. to think, oh shit, there's actually a lot of money in the world, mm -hmm. and this is a type of everyday conversation mm -hmm. that people are having. I just, I I'm still blown away about how early. In your career, in your life, did you stumble upon this old networking thing and knowing that I need to get out of my environment because I can't grow like that? There's a glass ceiling I'm going to hit. That comes from realizing that your ambition is not going to be matched by your circle of friends or by, by, by staying where you are. Um, I used to talk about my ambition quite publicly and openly when I was a kid. And I was always laughed at. And I always had this thing where I, I surrounded around myself with adults. And even now, my friendship circle is a lot older than I am, even till today. And the idea was because when you surround yourself with adults and you start to have adult conversations, you start to think further ahead. And the more and more people you speak to, the more you realize that 
a lot of successful people don't really have aren't that talented. Yep. They, they literally aren't. And even today when I look at businesses and I, and I invest into companies, I realize that actually a lot of people aren't extremely talented. They're just they ordinary they people. High school, ordinary people, right? They've just been at the game long enough. They've just been in it long enough for them to, to build something sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes it's just about time and experience. But I was constantly, I think selling my business was a learning lesson that I had to do that because I was prematurely born. I came from poverty. I already was at a disadvantage in life. So my, my mindset was the only way from here is actually to push forward in life. What have I got to lose? I've got, at the time I was living with my parents, I was like, I've got a roof in my head. I've got food on the table. What's the worst that can happen? Wow. I'm still going to come home and get fed, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm still going to... Like, that was the mentality that I had at the time. Was, I'm only, what's, and even today, I wake up every morning and I think, I'm grateful that I've got a roof over my head, I've got food on the table. I'm extremely grateful that I've got a company, I've got an office, I've got employees, mm-hmm. I've bought my own home, I drive a car, I get to wake up and, and, and go sit in a nice gym in a jacuzzi at 8 o'clock in the morning and have the flexibility to do that. Absolutely. Everything past that point is like a bonus for me. So that's my my great gratitude mindset was like a thing even now. But even now, I still focus on it. So you got this great experience because even going through even going through the fact that you had a business and sold it, you experienced an MBA in two years, pretty much at eighteen years old. And is that what they call it? <laughs> well, because that's because. I see I was because I, I studied chemical engineering in college right and then yeah. and I have people like in my ears like oh you got to further your education you got to further your education and I'm like okay yeah if I if I want to be a business person if I go back to college and I get an MBA would that would I get the knowledge of knowing how to run a business with an MBA degree I don't know but I feel like two years of working as an entrepreneur and selling your business that's the MBA you need. So yes, you got. I was forced to sell my business, though. That's the thing. It wasn't because I wanted to sell it. Oh. It was because I was going into an operation, and I had to sell my business because there was no one else to run it. I would lose all my staff. I would lose my livelihood. So I would like I had to sell a part of the business. Not even all of it. I sold part of it because it was that was a thing of value, right? So I had to step out because I was going into an operation for six months and I would be out. So I would, there's no way I was going to work at that point. So. I was forced to do it, but that was my kind of my first mistake that I made in business was really? that I didn't, I did, I tell you why, because I wish I built my business in a way where I'm not working in the business. Yeah. And that's the first mistake most entrepreneurs make is they are too much in the business and they're just an employee. You've left your job to go back into another job. Yeah. <laughs> and because you've done, because you've done that, right, you can't scale up because your business requires you. you. Your business needs you. And if you can even, I'm not asking that, okay, have a beach lifestyle. I'm saying if you can step out of 80% of operations, that's a bonus. Like that's the goal that every entrepreneur should have is that the hours and hours of admin time that they spend doing could be focused on working on the businessman reality. For example, I, I got a PA. Now, You've experienced this because you only just call and, and you went through my PA to be able to do all of that. Now, my PA on average saves me 20 to 30 hours a week of admin time. Of course. The back and forth, that's annoying, you know? Scheduling appointments, looking at my diary, 
sending out emails, follow-ups, all of that stuff. It's just, it's too time-consuming. So I'd rather have that on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Well, that's happening. My, my, my diary is being booked out for the next few weeks, even when I'm not working. Exactly. So, yeah, that, that's my mindset. But going back to the whole thing about doing an MBA, I, would still, I think I would still go back into education. I would still go back into doing a degree. And I'll tell you the reason why. Are you, there's nothing that... The same thing that you learn in university, that entrepreneurship doesn't teach you. Really? Yeah. And I valued this a lot later on in my life. One is the ability to research and communicate something in a professional way. Two, your how to how to have a structure in life. Entrepreneurial lifestyle is is like is is, is crazy. It is hectic. What university does, what university does, and what a job does, it gives you grounding and gives you a structure, gives you a format. Luckily, I had mentors. So I, one of my first mentors was a marketing director of a PwC, which is a big accounting firm, and and like I had him as a mentor because I used to. All I did was this is this thing that I used to do back then was I used to go around asking people for coffees. That's all I would do. No agenda. I just go and ask people for coffees. I would go sit in these coffee meetings and learn something. So I would sit in this weekly, monthly coffee with him and he would indirectly be my mentor. There was no like pro formal process to it, but I would just ask him questions. And he was a corporate professional, quite senior in his career. And I learned that there was a lot of things that I didn't understand that allowed me to build a corporate business. And so one of the things was professionalism. Entrepreneurship doesn't teach you professionalism. Entrepreneurship is more like you just do it as and when you feel like you're doing it. There's no level of way of conducting yourself. So the professionalism is what you'd learn in corporate. Second thing is structure. You have to... Entrepreneurship has been painted as this thing where you have to blend in or, you know, you have to stand out and not blend in and it's anti-corporate. Yeah. My view is you can... You need to build a corporate business. Just do it in an entrepreneurial way. You can. The one thing that we can learn of corporations and why they are corporations for a reason is because they have structure, format, they have a manual, they have SOPs. a guide, they have something in mm-hmm. place. Yeah, they have all these things in place, right? And that's how they are able to build something. That's why it keeps, the ship keeps running even when they're not there. So if we think about it in that same way, we can also build a corporation. I mean, look, you know, we look around at these fancy buildings wherever we are, whichever city we are, and we look at these fancy buildings, like, how did they build what they these offices and how did they get to where they are? They're just a corporation. Structure. They were once a small business. Blackstone was two guys, one of the biggest investment companies in the world was two guys in an office, in a lengthy in office, going around pitching people for money. Wow. So... What I'm hearing is, yes, um, entrepreneur is anti-corporation, but take the good part of it and learn from them and incorporate yeah. it in it. So you're not, are you, you're not saying we should be like them, or are you saying we should be like the corporations? I think we, I think you need to understand that they are where they are because of what, where they are, right? Okay. They are, they've built what they've built. We have to respect what they've built. That are obviously are 100 million pounds, or even if it's 50 million pounds, or even if it's 10 million pounds, they've still got there somehow. True. We still need to respect that there's still a way of operating. We're not that far in this world yet 
where everything is so entrepreneurial that it's become fluffy. Like, like we're not there yet. We're not at a point in life where every business or every large corporation is entrepreneurial. Traditional still works. Yeah. Buying and selling traditional stuff or getting into a traditional business is still uber successful. You can still become uber successful as well. I'll give you an example. Cleaning companies are the most boring companies ever, but they make a shit ton of money. My friend sold his cleaning company and he realized he regretted it later wow. on because he was like, he was like, no. I was making a shit ton of more money because I was I was running a cleaning business, but it was the most boring, unsexy thing to ever talk about. <laughs> imagine going to a networking room, right? And, and you imagine you've made all this money and you're like, what do you do? I run a cleaning company. Oh, okay. Yeah. End of conversation. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter if you're making a lot of money. I'll be proud. But that's the thing. People, people, but people don't think about that way. People think about, we live in a world of social media where everything has to be sexy. Mm-hmm. No, there's nothing sexy in what we do. I sit in meetings all day. That's my life. <laughs> I sit in investor meetings every all day, every single day. I make decisions and I sit in boring meetings which I don't want to be sitting in. So it's like, you have to, you have to realize that it's because of these, these repetitive day-to-day tasks or these boring stuff is is why we built what we've been able to build. That is so true. That is so true. So now fast forward to you moving to London because obviously you said being in Birmingham is there's a, there's a there's a limit you can reach. You know, if you're a superstar, no, not if you're a super, if you're a talented musician or a talented actor, you want to move to Hollywood. If you're a tech entrepreneur, you want to move to um, Silicon Valley. So you knew at a young age that I need to move to London. So you moved to London and. You did what you did back in Birmingham, networking. I don't even know how you came across the fact that networking is the key, but you did it. And from there, you got that. Was it an? It was it. Was it a an employer or an employee uh, or investor that you met? That it was just a mentor, just a professional. It was just a, it was just a normal person in a suit. How did you meet him? I, met, I never connected. I I, used to, I walked into this charity event, and he was one of the guys who was sitting out there, and I was like. I like the sign of this guy. I want to meet him. So I just mess- go in up to him, ask for his business card, as you normally do. And you'd be like, it'd be good to get a coffee. So mm-hmm. it was easier to have just random coffees. Like when you first starting out, I would just want to meet every single person. Like if I were to do everything from scratch every again, I would be like, how can I have 100 coffees in the next month? Like that would be my goal. In the next Not month. Not to sell something in the next month. Not to sell to someone. Not to... Not to not to um, not to like show off, not to do anything like that. I would just be like, I want to just be able in a room with someone to be able to share what I'm trying to do or share my business, and they get and I get to learn off them and get some advice or even get them to give me an opportunity. Because sometimes, if you think about, you know, the, the title of it is first lead, right? Yes. First lead podcast. My first lead ever, all it ever came from was just going into a room and asking for coffee and just sharing what I do, not expecting sale in my head not expecting the idea that i'm going to close some business today but just going in and sharing people what i do and what i offer hmm. if i put myself in a position someone's going to tell me and said i know someone that might be interested in this yeah. or they'll say oh that's perfect timing we actually need these services yeah let me introduce you to the right person in our company absolutely but can you can you 
right now at the back of my head and i know a lot of the listeners are having the same thing is right now it's so it's so hard to get someone to sit down with coffee for you if, if a lot of like i have a lot of mentors here that are like killing it in the business but they're so so busy uh, how do you get around that how did you get around the gatekeepers the the personal assistant how do you get around that and have coffee with these people okay so one this is my rule of thumb don't network with people in your own industry okay if you want to find money, if you want to offer a service, if you want to do something, go speak to people in totally different industries. So my network was so diverse that I was able to sell something to these individuals. Oh. The thing is, what the problem, and I see this in the property industry quite a lot, we spend so much time networking with just property people that we're forgetting about who we're actually trying to do this for or who we're actually trying to target as an audience. So when you say mentors, I don't mean, I didn't have mentors that were in my own industry. I just had mentors to teach me stuff from different walks of life or different places. So my mentors was like, I had a corporate mentor. I had someone who was like, a, a, if I want to learn a certain skill, I would just find people that I'm like, I like who they are, their values. And I understand that I can learn a lot from them about life and business. Let me just go spend time with them. And these aren't people that are high-fly influencers that say they are, oh, I'm a mentor and I'm a seven-figure mentor yeah. on, on Instagram. These are just normal professionals that have done an incredible things in their career. Yeah, but they're busy though. Why would they take coffee with some random girl? Yeah. Because, because the one thing that helps is that everyone wants to give back. When you get to a certain point in your career, right, you want to give back. And if you say, if you say, I would love to get your advice and thoughts, can I get some time over a coffee? Now, it's how you phrase that, phrase that conversation. I didn't network with the idea as, can I get a meeting? I would love to tell you more about my services. No, that's not what I did. I walked up and I said, I would love to get your advice and thoughts. Can I take you for a coffee? And they say yes, all the time. All the time. Wow. It's that simple. It's just easy. And or you go to networking events and you take someone's business card and you add them on LinkedIn afterwards and you ask them for a coffee that way. Wow. I thought that if way was did, dead. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blown was, away. <laughs> old school still works. People don't realize that we live, in a, we live in social media and everyone's talking about building a brand on social media. I have less of a brand on social media, but I actually I convert more on my social media because of my offline activities, not because of my online activities. Online, like just doing socials all the time is only going to build your socials, but you're not going to build actual relationships with people you can do business with. So if you spend a lot of time focusing on people you can actually go meet and do business with, like old school still works. Even now, like people don't realize. I can go on social media and raise capital, right? But, what, but the other week, last week, I organized a dinner. Hmm. That dinner was 15 people. I paid for their dinner. It was a nice private dining, nice restaurant. I still do that stuff. Hmm. Because it still works. That's how business traditionally is still done. Wow. And you would know, and you would think that even even the rich, um, the rich and the wealthy, they still. You're right because they still do these things the old way. They still have this gala. They still have this fundraising event. They don't even have social media. You know, I bet. Exactly. I bet was uh, not Elon Musk, but I bet like Jeff Bezos is not even running his social media. I don't think he's scrolling through Instagram. Some social media manager probably is the one doing it yeah so but but why would you read that's like for me to reach out to Elon musk would be it's too i'm too early in the game 
True. Like we, a lot of people talk about reaching out to people who are like the height of the industry. Now, I'm just looking at people who are just a bit above me, like just not mm-hmm. not incredibly above me. I want people who are like who have done something decent in their business. Absolutely. And or they're or they're a partner at a law firm, or they're at a certain stage in their career where they've done well, but they don't see themselves as these public figures or these successful individuals. And same with investors. Oftentimes. We can judge a book by its cover, and we can. I was just talking to about one of my just to my one of my clients just before this call. Like sometimes it's easy to judge a book by its cover. Like I have a client who does a normal job, works in you know works in uh, the low income in, in the healthcare sector, and and you know she invested twenty grand with us. From that twenty grand, they went into one hundred fifty grand. Wow! I didn't know she had that level of money, but we make a judgment, and oftentimes. The type of people that we think we want to surround ourselves with are actually the type of people who are actually bad for us because it's easy to get caught up in their clique hmm. or in their industry or be part of their course and mentoring programs and things like that and just fall into that trap. Hmm. Wow. I don't care what my industry is doing. I don't. I have no care about it. I'm not looking left or right to saying what's the next big strategy or what's the next big way to make money or what's the what is this person doing. I've got my head down and focus on building what I'm trying to build and not looking elsewhere. Wow. So you, and I love when you said, if I was starting out, this is what I'm going to do. So let's, so you, you starting out, you get a hundred people, you network like crazy, do a hundred, a hundred coffee. What do you do from there? You've gotten all this knowledge. I obviously there's a trait in you that not just not just a sponge that get the knowledge. You there's there's something else that make you a doer. So walk us through what you would do as a new person in this. I would the, the biggest thing that I've seen and 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 more so and I've got a lot of female friends and I've got a lot of like female business owners that I work with and are my clients. The biggest challenge that people have, especially females, is the ability to ask. Hmm. It's 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 it's. Let's boil it down. Have you asked for that business? Yes or no? And if you haven't asked for that business, then are you expecting someone to just give you that business on a plate? I know. Or to give you that or to give you that that money, you have to ask. At some point, you gotta ask. Is this something that you might be interested in? Is this something that you want to move forward with? Is this something that you you guys would need or would review in your business over the next twelve months? Is it something that do you see do you see the value of what I offer? If you're not gonna ask, you're not gonna get. The the problem is at some point in that in that interaction or that relationship with someone, you gotta ask for something. Like every day, I'm sitting there and I'm asking I'm asking people. Do you see the value in in how we operate? I book appointments. I don't focus on the sale. And I say to people, if you're trying to raise capital, if you're not, whatever business you're in, even if you're trying to sell a service, don't focus on the sale. Focus on the on, on getting enough appointments in the diary. The one question you want to ask is, are they interested? So out of curiosity, if you're in, uh, you know, if you're in the in the marketing world, you could be like, out of curiosity, have you guys thought about you know utilizing social media a little bit more? Or don't just go in and pitch a service. Ask a question. Get a prompt response. Like I just send people questions, and they respond. And then I'm like, "Are they interested in that? Or have they thought about something like this?" Not even are they interested. I will ask, "Have you have you even considered this option?" And they'll say, "No, I haven't thought about it." Okay, we focus on this, 
Um, what's what's your email? I'll get my PA to arrange a time to us for us to have a conversation and, and and arrange a Teams call, and they'll send over my brochure. I'll get the appointment booked in. I'll send the brochure across. I'll jump on the Teams call. We do this day in day out. We send out 60, 70 messages a day. We we get about 10 to 15 appointments a week. We basically do this. We build up our pipeline. We have a follow up process and a system. And I, I'm having conversations with 10, 15 investors a week. Why? Because I'm asking people if they're even even the pull of the idea of it. The problem is that most people are trying to build their business, but they're not they're not putting themselves in a position of 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 like building a pipeline. Yeah. Like I think every business owner doesn't have a sales problem. They have two problems. They have a pipeline problem. And have a closing problem. If your biggest thing of is, is right now is your finances in your life, I need to look at your pipeline. How big is your pipeline? Can you explain more I mean, about you, this pipeline? Can you for those uh, that your pipeline? Go ahead. Pipeline is essentially the idea of of like who are you targeting? Are they shown interest? So even if it's a list of prospects of people that you potentially might be able to do business, you need a pipeline to deal with. Then it's like the next phase of that pipeline is, are they interested? How many of those potential prospects have you reached out to even think about or even ask them whether they're interested in a service like this? That's phase two. They become a lead. They become a, they become interested. If you haven't got enough people at the top of the funnel, you're not going to have enough business oh, at the bottom. Oh, I see what you mean. So you need a, a so lot it, of people at the top that's the yeah. problem that you said. You said there were two problems that entrepreneurs have. It's the that that's, that's the one. first one. Okay. The second one is closing. They don't know how to close a sale. It's all good for getting all these meetings or getting all these appointments booked in your diary, but if you don't know how to close a deal, they don't. Then 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 what's going to be? How do you how, learn how? How, you how do you learn how to close a deal? Like where where do you where, where would anybody start? Start from zero. Well, where, where would anybody from? I would ask I would ask your prospect a few questions. Now, my first question is, why have you thought about this and why now? Okay. So if you're in marketing, why have you thought about social media and why now? Why would it be important to you? Hmm. Then they give you a reason. So they will say, like in the investor world, in when I'm reaching out for investors, they'll be like, um, my kids' private school fees are a lot. I'm not making a lot of money in this area. I'm trying to build my wealth. I don't know where to start. Um, I'm trying to, I want to, I want them like move out of the country. I want to move to a different city and I'll, like, they'll give you a reason, whatever that reason is. Then I look at what the financial, um, what the financial sort of factor is in that reason. So let's, so why don't we break this thing down financially? So if they're like, have you thought about marketing? So, okay, let's break this down financially or well, same with an investor. Why don't we break this down financially? What's your biggest life expense? Your biggest life expenses, your mortgage, or, or, or if they want to pay for their kids' private school fees, you're like, okay, let's break this figure down. Let's break this down financially for you. What does this mean for you? And same with if you're trying to sell a professional service, you say the same thing. Okay, so let's break this down financially. What does, how much does each client cost you? Each client might cost you, I don't know. Okay, each, like, not in the cost of it, but what is your price point? What is your sales? What's your product? What, what are you offering? Okay, each client is worth about 10 grand to us. Okay, so let's break this down. So if you invested 
if you if you if you if I got you one client tomorrow at ten grand, even a month, hmm. one one client extra client a month, would you pay two grand for that? Of course. So imagine now if I break through, walk you through my strategy, walk you through my process, and we got you, which is our average at the moment, which is about five to ten clients, right? Mm-hmm. So if I got you. Thirty, fifty, sixty thousand pound at the business. Would you put me on a retainer fee for two and a half thousand pounds? Of course. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Same with investors. Okay, so your private, your mortgage is fifteen hundred quid a month. So if you invested fifty grand with us and we gave you an X amount of return, I can help you pay off three months of your mortgage off every year. Well, is that something that you might be interested in? Rather than making it about your service and how great your service is and how great what you're, you know, how great you're doing and what you're doing, talk and make it more about the client. Make it more about the impact that your service or your investment opportunity is having on the client. And so it takes away, if they want to know more about my service, they can read my brochure. Your brochure needs to be strong enough for them to answer all their questions. So when you're on the call, it's more about them. And they'll ask you, okay, once you've painted this picture for them, they'll ask you, okay, so... What are the next steps? They might say to you, so, you know, what's the worst case scenario here? I'll say, okay, worst case scenario, um, you know, you recover the cost of what you're doing and you get your money back. That's the worst case scenario. So the first thing is ask why. Um, you ask them why they're, why they haven't, let's say social media, for instance, why they haven't used social media, why and why now? And then the next thing is yeah. like, oh, let's break this down financially. And, you know, what's the biggest expense? So you walk them through, like, I love how you said, focus on the client. And then the third thing to close is. So the third thing to close essentially is, is once you've painted that picture is just ask them, is this something that you are interested in moving forward? Or how much do you have to invest into this? So how much? So what's your budget? What's your what's your spending power? How much investment do you have to invest in this? They'll say, whatever the number is or whatever the figure is. Okay, is there something that you might be interested in? Well, they might. Oftentimes, eight percent of my clients to say themselves, "What are the next steps?" Wow. I don't even have to get to the point <laughs> the time, where they're like, yeah. where I'm like, after asking the question, like, is this something you might be interested in? They'll tell me, okay, so what are the next steps? Okay, brilliant. The next steps are we'll send in over agreement. Once the agreement is signed, we'll do a transfer of funds or you pay your deposit and, and then we'll and then we'll we'll move to the next phase and I'll come and see you at this point in time. I don't need to go see my clients, I don't need to go see my investors. I can literally close eighty percent of my business on the, on a team's call. So you do this you you use this step every single time. You use it for clients, you use it for investors, you use this same framework every and it works every time. I've got an 80% conversion rate because of this. So you put me in front of 10 people, I will close eight of them. Wow. How and I will, and I can even get a transfer of funds within 48 hours if I'm trying to raise capital. How I'm just blown away like where did you how do you become someone like this? How do you learn things like this because it's it's crazy how you can do 80 percent and and i've and i heard somewhere that you said you're an introvert so that even makes it even much more crazy like how does someone that doesn't that doesn't talk that is quiet do this it's funny because a lot of like if you ask my wife she would say 100 percent, you're not an introvert (laughs) or if you ask my friends around me you're not an introvert because i'm comfortable around people now the difference is I'm an introvert because I like my own space. I don't like to be around too much crowded rooms. I don't, I don't enjoy environments. But what I've learned is I've picked up skills along the way that 
allow me to come across as confident when I'm in the room. Like my dad told me public speaking at the age of nine, ten years old, like in a religious institution where like I was able to project myself and I understood understood hand gestures from a very young age. So I picked up public speaking as a skill. I was able to utilize that as a way to communicate effectively. But I was still like, I was still like sweating when I'm on stage every single yeah. time. Even now, I still when I go on stage. I've done like a hundred different speaking gigs. Every time I go on stage, I still, still have it. the nerves. I still, I still have the nerves. That doesn't go. The only difference is now I'm, I've got a structure, so I start my talk off in the same way. I, 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 same in sales calls. I start my structure off in the same way. I'll ask them, okay, if I've met them for the first time, I'm like, okay, so it'd be good to get to know you a little bit about you. Um, how did you get to where you are? What's your story? What's your journey? I'll get them to talk about 15 minutes. Then I'll share mine and I'll talk about how I built the business, which naturally leads on to the onto what the services I'm offering. So it's just a structure. I just follow a structure. I don't deviate away from that structure. I don't try and do something new. I don't try and reinvent the wheel. I just follow the structure that has worked for so much and so yeah. time. And I do the boring thing every single day. So these skills aren't, aren't, they aren't something new or innovative. They're yeah. just skills I've picked up along the way that you learn from trial and error. You gotta realise when I first went out, when I first started selling, when I my, my first experience of sales was door to door sales. Now if you've ever done door to door sales and you sold loft insulation or if you sold charity or something like that, right? You know that they gave me a rule which is really interesting and I still try and use this today. You have to knock on the same hundred doors every single day. What? So, uh, the until same? every single, uh, the same hundred doors until every single person has opened their door, and you've spoken to every single person. Wow. So that was the concept that I learned. That sometimes it's not about all this big fancy stuff that people talk about. Sometimes it's just knocking on enough doors and making sure that they open their door up. And uh, the more doors you open the more likely you are to close a deal. So at every 100 doors, we would close three sales. That's what I learned in door-to-door. I did this in telecoms. I saw telecom services, same thing there. We'd pick up 300, we make 300 phone calls a day, we'd do three sales. Now it's the same thing, but we do in social media. We send out 60 messages a day. We open up five or 10 appointments a, a week. And then basically those five appointments turn into, into sales because my closure rate is high. Wow. So you must have been, you must have known how to take rejections because that is hard. You can't, you oh, just, I still don't know how to take rejections. <laughs> that never goes. That never goes. I'm wait, sorry, but anyone wait, that tells you that you can hand, you need to handle rejections. It's more like you shift your focus. You shift your focus from not thinking about the objection, but because you've got so many appointments in the diary and you've got a good, strong pipeline mm-hmm. or you've got enough prospects, you don't care about the no. You naturally sure. don't care about them, not because you're emotionally built differently. Because oh, I'm so, I'm that I'm that tough macho guy that just that just that, that that just doesn't care about rejection. No, I'm not one of those guys. Wow. But I just because I have a pipeline, it allows me to now not think about or not care about the uh, the appointment that I'm sitting in. So my because whole you have focus, so much to go. So you like yeah. onto the next yeah. one. But also, I don't make it about me. When I'm sitting in sales meetings, I don't make it. I don't care about the money or the financials. I'm trying to close this client. Every time I've done that, it's never closed. 
I have to now think about how can I add value to this client? How can I solve a problem for this client? If I'm able to do that, then I'm able to, I'm, I'm that person will hopefully see the value. If they don't see the value, they're just not right. They're just not a right fit for me right now. Right now. They may come back to me six months down the line, or even if they're not right fit. A lot of the time, people do business not based on, um, not based on how loud you are or how you dress or all the luxury stuff that you have or the show off stuff that you do. People do business with you based on values. Now, it's very important to understand what your values are. Uh, Shakur, the name on the board, is my second name, but it also means appreciative or grateful. And so the whole idea of our business came from our value of if we always appreciate our time, appreciate our people, appreciate our clients, and appreciate the, how hard that they worked for their money, that's the fundamental value that allows us to then ensure that we're, when we are when we set that intention, when we set on a sales call, that it's not about us building what we're trying to build. Can you walk someone through a business person or someone who's about to start a business trying to raise capital? Because that's very, you know, you've said it a couple of times in your other podcasts and your other interviews that you've been around the top players in the industry, the top one percent and you saw how they operate and then you brought it you brought those skills to teach everyday people and how to operate can you teach can you tell us maybe like a step-by-step or how to on a new business person or a new person that's going to business and how to raise capital what is the first thing they, they need to do what is the next thing and how to get the money in their hand i first thing i do is i sit down and get people to understand their values once they understand their values, I help them define what makes them unique. Because people don't buy from you based on what you're offering or the deal that you've got. The deal doesn't matter. What matters is whether someone is willing to do business with you based on who you are. Uh, That's fundamentally what it comes down to. People, I get investment. I get my opportunities to invest into businesses because I, the first thing I look at is, is this person got the same values as me? I've been on both sides. I've now gone from raising capital to now investing as well. So I, I see both sides of the pond. And so one of the things I learned was that values are equally probably the most important thing on that list, which we underestimate. The second thing I, I, I get people to do is do a brochure. Now, if you don't have a, well, they call it a pitch deck, whatever you want to call it, right? But that pitch deck needs to be broken down where you're not just, the idea is that brochure should or that page deck should answer eighty percent of the questions that an investor is gonna ask you. So what are they gonna ask you? How does the investment work? What projects have you done previously? Or what's your timeline? Or what's your what what's your portfolio? Why should I invest with you? Who's in your team? What makes you guys unique? What's the FAQs like worst case scenario and other FAQs? There's like six to eight slides that you can put into your into your into your pitch deck. And if you think about it, you don't need if you're starting off, your credibility and you might feel like you've got a bit of imposter syndrome, right? So you might feel like actually I'm just me, like why is someone gonna give me fifty grand? Why isn't someone gonna give me a hundred thousand pounds or whatever it is, right? The I leveraged when I first started, I leveraged the credibility of my team. Be like, oh, I don't have anyone in my team. Your team are people who are you can utilize who are service providers. 
I'll give you an example. You're in Airbnb, right? Yes. A lot of people, and sometimes even in Airbnb, they, they have property management companies, right? They have Airbnb management companies. So if you have a management company, you go to the CEO and you say, I want to give you a lot more business. Uh, I've got a page trade together that's allowing me to raise capital. Can I put you into my brochure? Hmm. And you do the same. In, if you're doing construction or property, you do the same for your architect. You do the same for your construction company. You do hmm. the same for your mortgage brokerage. You used to do the same for everyone else. So what you do is the team that you're going to be utilizing to deliver the project or deliver the service that you're doing, especially if you're trying to raise capital for thingy, even if, if you don't, if you're a service provider or you're a tech startup, you love what people do. They leverage their board of advisors and mm. their experience. It's the same thing. If you're trying to raise capital, leverage the people in your team and also leverage the projects that they've done. So mm. if you're in property you could, and you've never done a deal before, you could leverage the credibility of the people who have done a deal. So if you're a property manager, for example, the management company that you've given your Airbnb to to get, help you get to that stage, right? They they will have so many different examples of projects and teams that they've worked on. Your construction company, your architect, they've all done different deals. Maybe you can show some of their deals in your in your brochure or in your pitch deck. <laughs> Leverage the credibility and experience of other people around you to build yourself credibility. That gives you confidence. That gives you confidence. And when you do this brochure, what you're going to realize, a lot of the time, everything's in our heads. Yeah. <laughs> So if we can break it down, if we can break it down by where the we start to believe, what, and you might think, okay, how do you have so much confidence when you're speaking to investors or closing deals? That confidence comes from having everything on paper, having a structure. The brochure is something, once you've done it, you kind of have to buy into it and believe in it. But that brochure is a way for you to buy into your own self. So every time you have imposter syndrome, you can just literally look at that brochure and think, this is what we're doing. This is what we're building. This is the people I have supporting me. This is what I've got to offer. Why would someone not do it? So you have to you have to kind of believe into that. The third thing is just again you got to knock on doors. It's just, the next thing is just sales. You got to treat investors raising capital as if you're treating sales. How do you get sales for your business? I've already talked about the pipeline and yeah. the different things that you do to make sure to sales. That's my approach to raising capital. If you're able to do that day in day out, and the biggest mistake you can make is networking within your own industry. So a lot of people say, go to all the property circles or go to all the angel networks. Sometimes raising capital has, uh, uh, raising capital, you don't know who's got money until you ask for it. So sometimes is like most of our investors aren't actually wealthy investors. They're just the average person. Yeah, like They're the lady that you said that yeah. was, that we said she has a regular job. And regular you, job. And then she invested a hundred grand. Yeah, but you don't know who's got money because their lifestyle might be like we don't have. They don't have a lifestyle. They don't show up. They're not social media people. Mm-hmm. They're not people who care about driving a Lambo. They don't have these massive expenses. Well, the people who've got wealth or people who've got money to spend or to give you from an investment point of view are people who just work all day, and they don't have time to spend their money. True. So what? Those are the type of people that you want to go after because their time. They they're time poor, but they've got they've got this amazing salary or this job where eighty percent of the salary gets saved. Hmm. So if someone's uh, earning a hundred grand a year as a, as a middle management uh, at a law firm or whatever or whatever business they're in, and they're doing really well with the middle management, but they they most likely once they've got a bit of responsibility, they're going to be busy. They're not going to have time. So I go and approach those people. 
I don't approach people who are like you know to to go after the high net worth individuals or the family offices, the real family wealth. That takes time. Like mm. it took me it took me like two years to close my first family office deal. Wow. Like you, these people don't just run into business. You can't just put something in front of them and get them to make a decision. It takes years to build that relationship. You gotta get, take them out for dinner. They're gonna see your social media for a little bit. They're gonna see how you conduct yourself. They might test you out. It's something small in the beginning. It's like wooing like, them. You gotta. That takes time to win over the really rich people, hmm. which is why we do our like our dinners and other other ways or other approaches that we do because we wanna like it's nurturing them. They take yeah. a lot longer to nurture. The larger the money, the longer it takes to nurture. Right. Hmm. So you gotta start somewhere if you're trying to raise capital. Start off with your immediate surroundings. And if you don't have that, go onto LinkedIn, go onto second degree connections, your second degree connections of like friends of friends basically who as as what second degree connections are, and connect with all them people and get to know them. The dinners and the events are for the high network people that you're trying to nurture the relationship, try to woo them. So that's like a longer, slow process. But what anybody that's trying to raise capital should do right now is get a get to know what their value is, then get a pitch deck to have 80% of the information in there, leverage the credibility of others and start pushing it out. And number one place when is LinkedIn. When I, when I say pushing out, I never send the brochure just to people like that. I, you know what I talked to you about in my sales process where I just ask people a question and I get a response and then I book the appointment in. Once I've got the appointment, only then do I send the brochure. Okay. So the <laughs> idea is not for you to go into a sales pitching mode where you're on LinkedIn and just firing out sales pitching. Okay. okay. That doesn't work. So you, you, you build your pipeline. You, you start from scratch. But you do it in a, in a non-salesy way. You ask people a question. If you think about, you know, a lot of people make this assumption about people like Grant Cardone. Mm-hmm. About salespeople, right? Cold callers. Yeah. Oh. Cold calling. What if you ever look at some of the team that are doing cold calling for Grand Cardone? Have you noticed they pick up the phone and the first thing they're trying to do is they're trying to book an appointment. Yes. They're not trying to get the close on the phone. We made this huge assumption. Like if you, the difference is Grand Cardone, everybody knows the brand. So that's why we create a lot of video content. We, we go out and sponsor events. We do all the other stuff because we're trying to build content and credibility and we're getting our name out there. That's a, a medium to long term thing. That takes a year or two years to really do. What's the first thing you can do? See if someone's interested in a certain subject and a certain conversation or a certain, you know, certain offering that you have and just try and get an appointment in the diary. That's the easiest thing that you could ever do. Only once you've got the appointment can you really do the closing. Like that's where you close the business. I feel like sales should be broken down into like two different things. The idea of prospecting is completely different. Sales for me is is the closing bit, is the actual sales call. Up until the appointment for me, it's it's marketing, it's lead gen, it's it's not sales for me. It generates sales. It helps you get to a sale, but the actual sales call should be about sitting in front of a person and being able to pitch what you're pitching. Okay. So go through that and then you do LinkedIn, social media, and events. What other place would you say to do more network? I'm just trying to get tangible, actionable items for my listeners. That's why I'm 
repeat. I think you don't need to do it. If, 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 trust me, LinkedIn works. You're talking about, LinkedIn. you know, you, you, yeah, I, I, 80% of our business comes through LinkedIn. You don't okay. need to, if especially, especially if you're looking for investors or if you're looking for, if you're selling a B2B service or brand, go to networking events that are in your city, in your region, and just network and ask people for coffee and just, just do business with people, right? That's the, that's the bit that's, that's straightforward. LinkedIn is just about understanding that you have to do it and you have to spend time doing it. And you have to constantly send out messages a day. Now, I think Alex Samozzi said it perfectly. He was like, the only difference sometimes is between a business succeeding and not succeeding is volume. Hmm. So I first started off with 10, 20 messages a day. Then I'm into 30 messages a day. Then I'm into 40. Then I'm into 50. Then I'm into 60 messages a day. I've got a team now sending out these messages, so I don't have to do it. Um, but there, essentially, there's a, there's a, a, you just need to up your volume. That's the only difference. Now, the key thing here is you've got to be in a position where you have to step out of the business. If you as an Airbnb person or if you're in any sort of business, if you're doing all the client work or if you're managing everything yourself, that's not the way to scale up. You've got to learn to step out of the business. Now, mm. I invest in a company that I like. I offshore my stuff to the Philippines. Like My PA is offshore to the Philippines. My thing, like, it doesn't cost me hardly any money to do that. But I basically find process or find ways of outsourcing all the things I don't want to do so I can focus on the investor bit. Mm. So I can focus on the actual sales process. Wow. Yeah. Another another part of my business, uh, well, the main part of my business is interior design. So I'm an interior designer and I also have like the real estate part of it. So uh, in what I'm hearing for you is I need to network outside of interior design and Airbnb. I need to leverage LinkedIn and I need to get a nice pitch deck, well, a good pitch deck to scale up. And I need to also have volume. That's pretty much what I'm getting from this conversation yeah, right here. Basically, if I was an interior designer, I would I would sponsor my local property network. So I would make sure I'm a sponsor. Sponsorship gives you credibility that you don't think about, right? So if I was in your business today, this is what I would do. I would I would literally just sponsor a local property network event that I attend every single month. Once you start attending those every single month, you start to build relationships and credibility. And because you're a sponsor, they'll give you a shout out, they'll give you a platform. Most people will make the assumption that you're bigger than what you are. That, that's what sponsorship usually is. So you need to find a budget to, to sponsor your local property network. The next thing is, is okay, how do you, um, when I'm selling services to the property industry, I will create a guide. I will literally be like, I'll go into the WhatsApp group where all the people from that networking event are, and I'll be like, who wants a free guide on how to 10x your pipeline? And then that free guide will be like loads of emails and numbers and people who are interested. Now I know that people are interested. Mm-hmm. So I've created a free guide, right? So, for example, your free guide could be how can you increase your valuation? Here's a, here's a guide to increasing your valuation of your property through interior design. And, and that guide you send out. And you get, so who wants this free guide? Get loads of free guide, name, email, phone number, brilliant. Okay, then you connect with them on LinkedIn. You connect with them on other social media platforms. You then ask people, okay, so have you, have, have you, have you, have you ever used an interior designer? Out of class, have you thought about using an interior designer? They'll be like, no, not really. Okay. This is something that we could do to help people increase the increase the valuation on their property. What's your email? I want to send over our brochure and and, and take out time to have a team school. Well, thank you so much for this knowledge. This is I know I've passed six minutes past your time. Where can people find you? And can can someone reach out to you for mentorship? Like if anybody yeah, so, listening, um, do you? So I've I've got a website called RaisingCapitalAccelerator.com. 
um, which basically is, is is where I've got a free guide on there. But also at the same time, people can people can reach out. If I'm on Instagram, so if they're on Abdushkur LDN in London, they can reach out to me and and just drop me a message, drop me a DM, or give us a follow there. Um, I'm on most majority of social media platforms. They can follow me on either, and I'll pick it up. Um, but raisingcapitalaccelerator.com is basically where, where I talk about helping people raising raising capital. And we've got a money back guarantee on the offer. So if people want to join our program. They can have a money back guarantee. So if you don't raise capital in 90 days, I'll give you your money back. Wow. 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 Thank you so much for everything.